so tonight I'm really excited to introduce our speaker. It's one of our very own staff members. And um, tonight she's just going to share her story. She's going to share her testimony and uh, be really real with you guys. It's kind of, if you guys were here, the first large group, we did those cardboard testimonies, right? It's like a sentence. It's going to be like a, a much longer version of that cardboard testimony of, of what God's done in her life. And so um, she recently came on full-time staff. Uh, she was working as an um, uh, English teacher at a Hagwan for about a year, a year. Um, and she, but she came out to Korea with the sole purpose of, you know, uh, with doing God's will and to reconnect with New Philly. And um, she definitely wanted to be a part of Emmaus. And so, um, yeah, so she signed up on full time. Uh, that, what that means, you guys, is basically she raises support. So month to month, she raises support for her, all her living costs. People um, from the church, outside the church, whatever, are supporting her so she can do what she's doing now. And so it's pretty incredible. It's very faith. I mean, can you imagine? Like, you got to, that's living by faith, you know? And so she's, uh, she's crazy. Um, so before I invite her up, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, you know, I think if we all really are ourselves, we would be weird. Would you guys agree with that? Like, when we really get to the place where we're confident in who we are, we would all kind of be kind of, you know, weird. I'm, I'm going to be real here, okay? And so she's someone that's really confident um, in who she is. <laughs> she's crazy. She brings a lot of joy to my life. Anyway, so let's all welcome Rona, babe. Come on. Thank you. Um, can I have someone help me get this stand? And uh, I don't know if I should hold this one or use. Does it matter? Okay. I guess I can hold it. Hello. I think a little higher, actually. I'm pretty tall. <laughs> guys. How are you all doing tonight? Um, my name is Rona, as Pastor Aaron introduced, and I'm going to say a quick prayer before I start sharing my story with you guys. So if you could bow your heads with me. Yeah, God, I thank you so much for this night. And God, I thank you that as I share my story, um, you're just opening up hearts, you're opening up eyes, you're opening up ears, Lord God, because um, you've written my story of transformation. You're still writing it. But Father, right now you are writing new stories for every person in this room. And Father, I thank you that there are going to be stories, Lord God, that are even greater than anything they heard in the staff, Lord God, greater than they've heard in other testimonies. God, you are taking them, Lord, to new levels each and every life here. And God, I thank you that no one's here by accident. But Father, you have such an amazing plan and destiny for each person. And Father, I thank you that this retreat that's coming up, Lord God, is a matter of, of life and death. 
It's about life being given to every student in this room. And so, Father, I just thank you that you're moving in this place, that, Father, this um, testimony is going to be prophecy over every single life here. And, Father, we say all of these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so um, my name is Rona, and I'm on staff at Emmaus. I also attend New Philly Church, and um, I was also in your shoes, though. I was sitting in the same seat, except, you know, in the basement here. And um, I was a student. I was an exchange student here in the spring of 2008, so that's four years ago. Yeah, four years ago, I was a student here. Um, I was here my sophomore year, and, um, man... I was so different back then. Let me just say that. But um, I know what it is to be kind of like, kind of figuring things out in Korea, being new to everything, um, trying to make relationships, trying to figure out why you're here, trying to figure out what to major in, uh, how many credit hours to take every semester. I know all the stresses that you guys go through. um, But I also know that it's such an amazing time for you guys. There's so many exciting things happening for you all right now in this, in this time, in this time in Korea and also your college years. And so I'm so excited as I look at your faces because there's such an amazing future for each of you guys. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to share with you. So um, in 2008, when I was a student here, uh, New Philly, my church has, uh, they had a theme verse. Every year they have a theme, like what, what they feel like God is going to do to them that year, what he's going to bless them with. And in 2008, the theme verse was from Isaiah 43. It said, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. So my semester here in Korea could pretty much be summed up in that verse. It's like, I came here and only, only seeing wasteland, only seeing brokenness, only seeing despair, and God was continually telling me during my semester here that he's doing something new. He's doing something new in my life, in my family, in my relationships, and that nothing is ever going to be the same. Where I thought I had no way to hope, no way to see light, uh, he was making a way where there was no way at all. And so um, it was really about me looking around and seeing uh, just how much he can transform in a short amount of time. And so I'm going to share that story of transformation with you guys. Um, And when I first came to Korea in 2008, I came really, really messed up. And if you guys ever feel like you can't open up to staff about how you were messed up or you think you're, like, so messed up, no one can understand, really, it's okay. (laughs) You know, like, the staff was really messed up, too. Like, everybody that you... Okay, it's just so funny. Okay, I was really messed up. Um, my father was an alcoholic. He uh, cheated on my mom regularly. Um, there were so many fights in the house, so much yelling, so much screaming. Uh, he was physically and emotionally abusive. He was really filled with rage. So one thing could set him off, and then, man, he's, like, on a path of destruction. So my earliest memories are all of just being really frightened. My mom said even when I was a baby and I'd be crying in the room, if he walked in the door, I would stop crying because I knew, I could sense that I was in danger if I cried and made too much noise. And, um, you know, I was just so terrified of doing something wrong, of making too much noise, of not dressing the right way, of saying the wrong thing. So I just got it in my mind early that it was best if I just shut up. And it was best if I just tried to make myself not visible. It was best if I just tried to make myself perfect because the way that I was was wrong because everything I did made him angry. And so life was solely about reading his moods. 
Because if he was in a happy mood, everything was all right. But if he was upset, you know, you had to walk on eggshells. I was even watching how much I breathed. I didn't want to breathe too loudly around him. And so the identity, you know that we have an identity, right? And um, as Pastor Marcus preached last week, that identity in the garden was perfect intimacy, perfect relationship. Welcome. Perfect. <laughs> uh, perfect. Perfect relationship with God the Father, with one another, right? And that identity is, is found in relationship, in love. And you're told who you are. You are worthy of being loved. You are worthy of being loved. And that's the identity that we all have. But early on, a lot of times we get that stolen from us, right? And Satan uses people around us who are also hurt to speak a different identity into us, to steal that feeling of worth and significance, right? So the identity spoken over me when I was really young was that I was insignificant, I was unlovable, I was worthless, and that it was just best if I made myself invisible. So early on, I started getting really afraid of people. People would come to our house, and I would hide in closets and underneath the bed. Um, even in middle school, I couldn't even go up to a, a fast food counter. My mom was like, Rona, go order yourself a double cheeseburger at McDonald's. And I was too afraid. I couldn't even talk to the McDonald's counter cashier because I had such a paranoia of people. They thought I was, like, deaf and mute in kindergarten because I didn't speak the whole day. I was just afraid of doing the wrong thing. And um, so... I just hated when people looked at me, when they talked to me, when they showed me any attention, because when that happened at home, it was always me getting in trouble. And so, um, yeah, in high school, then I somehow became a cheerleader. Like, that's the most attention-grabbing role in the world. I don't even know how that happened, but I found, you know, with cheerleading in high school... Uh, in America. It comes not with just a skirt and like dancing around by the football field, but it also comes with a whole new identity, a whole package of relationships, a whole package and lifestyle, right? So I started partying. I started um, smoking weed. I started getting drunk. I started being promiscuous and I started dressing differently, acting differently. And I, I found that if I can put on this perfect show and be what I thought people wanted me to be, then people will like me. And I didn't think I was worthy before that identity. And so I found an identity that I could put my trust in. I found this identity that could make me likable and lovable. And so I knew at that young age that if I worked hard enough, I could get people to like me. Um, so I soon started putting on this show of perfection. I would wake up at like 5 a.m. every day and curl my hair, put on like cakes of makeup. Like I was wearing low shirts and then like they were high and then it was just I was just all over the place because I knew people would love me if I looked that way if I acted that way and so um you know I was even though I was messed up and had this background I also went to church regularly I went to church I think the first time I went was uh, vacation bible school when I was seven and I came because of the free candy and snacks and then I don't know I just kept coming because it was kind of fun but um, everything that was happening at church was so apart from real life. I felt like the pulpit and my life was completely disconnected. Like, I have so much brokenness, so much stuff that's messed up. No one has answers for me. No one can explain why I'm here, why I'm in this situation, why I feel this stuff. And then this guy's just talking about some God up there who's, like, angry at me all the time. What does it have to do with my real life, you know? So I just went there to hang out with friends, flirt with boys. But then, um, you know, like, 
It had no impact on who I was on my life. And it was just really dead religion to me. So what happens is if you're fed religion, but you don't know the heart of it, is you start getting the outward sign of it, right? You start getting only the rules. You don't get the spirit behind the rules. So I knew don't have sex, don't drink, don't do drugs, listen to your parents. I knew all the rules. And so, but rules don't really change lives. Rules don't set people free. Rules aren't relationship. And so, so I would go from an extreme of being really, really goody-goody Christian girl who like judged everybody. I would stand at high school in the courtyard. Oh my gosh, that person is such a skank. Oh my gosh, that person, I knew that they got drunk the other weekend. And then the next month I would be at the parties, hooking up with boys, smoking weed, drinking, doing whatever. So I was just going from one extreme to the other, trying to find a sense of belonging, a sense of freedom, a sense of purpose, a sense of something that's more than what I could see, something that explained it. But I couldn't find it in the dead religion, the rules, and I couldn't find it in the doing whatever I wanted, thinking that I was living in freedom in the partying. And um, so I just went from one extreme to the other. It's such, so hypocritical, you know, but uh, man, okay. <laughs> so during high school, I think my freshman year, uh, my parents finally got a divorce and it was actually kind of a relief to me because, man, living with my dad was so hard. But then soon after they got a divorce, my mom started getting really sick. So she was a single parent. And if you guys know, if you guys are from single parent families, you know that that income is really important because it's the only one coming in. And so um, she started getting really sick. And then starting my, my sophomore year, she stopped working. Junior year, she got sicker. She was going to all these doctors, getting checkups. And they couldn't find an answer to why she was sick. They kept saying she was depressed. She needs to exercise and be more social. And they started giving her anti-depressant med medication. Nothing was happening. Nothing was working. She um, was just spiraling down and getting so hard on herself because she knew she, was, she wasn't taking care of the family the right way. But she couldn't physically do anything about it. Finally, one doctor did a CAT scan. And they found that she had a brain aneurysm on the verge of rupturing. And if you guys know anything about brain aneurysms, it's kind of like most people don't find out they have aneurysms until they're dead because you don't have any symptom. There's no sign of it until it ruptures. And so when it ruptures, you die. So basically the fact that she was having headaches, dizziness, it was actually a blessing because we could catch it, right? So um, the weekend before my senior year started, I was sitting in the hospital and uh, my mom was having brain surgery. And I knew it was like, she's, I think they said 60% chance of survival. And I knew at that moment, you know, brain surgery is probably expensive. She may not make it out alive. And whatever happens from this time on, my life will never be the same again. And um, she made it out alive, praise the Lord. But um, we had to move out of our house and we were homeless for a time period. Um, Basically, my dad, he owned property in the same town that we live, but he, um, he recently got married to someone else, and she said, I don't feel comfortable with you helping your, your old family. With your, I don't feel comfortable helping you helping your daughter or your ex-wife, so don't, don't uh, let them rent that place from you. So he said, okay, and he kicked us out on the street, and then um, we were homeless, and then finally my mom's poorest friends took us in. Um, I'm from Arkansas. Anyone else? All right, that's what I thought. Okay, so I'm from Arkansas. <laughs> um, we have beautiful nature, but also, like, people, like, live on farms, like, on dirt roads for miles and miles. So 
this family, my mom's old friend, they, um, they lived in a trailer 40 miles out on a dirt road. Um, man, you can't get to town when it's like snowy. It's like crazy. There was sometimes no running water. They took us in. And so my senior year, I'm living in this small house with oftentimes no running water. And, uh, I blamed everything on my dad. Not only had he like jacked up my life and caused me to be so messed up, but also he like chose this woman over his own flesh and blood. And if he couldn't, he could so easily kick me to the curb, like that must really solidify the identity that I am worthless, that I am nothing because it's so easy to just throw me away. It must be true. And I just transferred all that pain into hating him into blaming him. And I was so angry at him. I hated him. And I decided that I would never forgive him. I vowed to never, ever call him father, to never, ever give him a chance because he caused all this stuff to happen to us. And, um, yeah, the, the hardest part about it was that I had built up such a fake identity at school. Because by that time, I had convinced everyone that I was perfect. I was perfect um, in the way that I dressed, in the way that I acted, in my grades, in all the things that I was involved in, I had the perfect identity in every way. People were, um, you know, actually, this is a tangent. Okay, I'm not going to go there. That's distracting. Oh, okay. Where was I talking about? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So, uh, so uh, what was I talking about? Yeah, yeah. So, um, in high school... Um, yeah, so I, I, none of my friends actually knew that I was homeless. None of them knew that my mom was sick because I just, I wanted them to think I was perfect. So I had to, like, come home to this mother who was sick, to a father that was messed up, to no money, to no house. And then every day I had to go to school and be perfect 4.0 cheerleader girl, right? It was so hard. It was so hard to be so fake. And, um... Yeah, so that was pretty much, I think, a low point. I started having regular panic attacks and nervous breakdowns, like days that I couldn't even get out of bed and go to school because I was just, like, in shock. And I started losing hair because of the stress. It was, and I, man, I felt like my heart was going to explode because I had so much anger and hatred inside me. And um, it's, it's like, I don't know if you guys have ever felt like that, but it's like the whole world is caving in and you have no control over it. You know, I looked at my life and I was in this position where I had no control of it. I couldn't make anything better. I couldn't change anything. And I felt like there was no answer and no way to get out. And so, um, yeah, I went to college in a different state and that was really, really good because it gave me distance from my home life. Right. And that was really, really good. But I found that no matter how much distance in the natural you have from your problems, your problems are inside you, right? So I carried all that depression. I carried all that hatred. I carried all that pain, all the, the fake identity stuff. I carried it with me to school. And so I just invested myself in my studies. I did the party thing for a little while. And um, I still couldn't really build any meaningful relationships because I had been so fake my whole life. I couldn't let anyone see the real me. And I still had so much unforgiveness. And by that time, my depression had really, really uh, hit rock bottom. And, um, yeah, so, uh, then I came to Korea, <laughs> spent one year in, spent one year in Missouri state. And then I came to Yonsei, uh, spring 2008. And I don't know how I ended up at large group. I just remember like orientation, this funny Asian man, like made some corny jokes. And then <laughs> that's her husband. And he, he was like, 
all these clubs were like, hey, we're going to get wasted. Let's go drink. And then he's like, we're going to get wasted. We're going to drink some water. And then, <laughs> and then I was like, who is this person? <laughs> he was so funny. And then, like, I went. He's like, let's go get lunch afterwards if anyone wants to come to this Christian club. So I went to the designated spot. And he looked at me. He's like, you look hungry. And that was the first word he said to me. I felt so uncomfortable. But um, yeah, anyway, his name is Christian Lee. Christian Lee. And that is Pastor Aaron Lee's husband. He used to be the director of Emmaus Campus Ministry four years ago. So um, from the first large group, man, something started, something very strange started happening to me that I had never experienced before. Because um, when I came to Tuesday Night Large Groups downstairs, he spoke about God in a way that no one had ever spoke about God before. It was like he actually believed God was real, that God was powerful, <laughs> that, <laughs> that the word of God actually had something to do with us, and that inside the word there were treasures to be discovered, that it was actually applicable to my life, that it had power. It was the first time I ever heard anyone give God power, that anyone actually believed with all their heart, all their soul, all their strength, all their might, that God was real and he was interested in me. And suddenly my heart, every time he spoke, it's like my heart started like pounding. And I felt like he was talking directly to me. And I was like looking around like, does anyone know that, ever, that he's like saying all my stuff out loud? I'm so uncomfortable right now. Oh my gosh. You know, and, and I, uh, I was working at a hagwon, like Pastor Aaron said last year, and we finished at 8.30 p.m. And my hagwon was in Karasuke, in Shinsa. It took an hour plus to get here. But every time for fellowship dinner, you know why I don't want to miss fellowship dinner? Because I had crazy encounters with the Lord at fellowship dinner. So even though most of the time it's just like us eating Taco Bell, man, crazy stuff happens during the fellowship dinner. Because one time we were eating like, Korean food somewhere after large group and pastor Christian was talking to some random student about bondage. He was talking about how even when we're Christians, even when we gave our life to the Lord, Satan can kind of put strongholds, put, get a foothold into our hearts and start deceiving us, start attacking us and start lying to us. And that's called bondage. When you can't break free from a, a pattern of thinking and it controls you. And I was, my heart started pounding again and I felt like I was saying, Rona, it's time to listen up. This, this is for you. It's time to listen up. And, um, you guys think this retreat's really early on in the semester, but my retreat was the weekend school started. Like, school started, and that weekend was a Mayus retreat. And so it was a lot smaller back then. It was a much more manageable size. So we just went to this guy's house. And <laughs> we, like, all piled in his living room. <laughs> we piled in his living room, and uh, Pastor Christian just, uh, started teaching us about the Holy Spirit. And I had grown up in church, but we didn't really mention the Holy Spirit. It was like, Jesus died for your sins, God created the earth, Holy Spirit. And then, no, you know, you don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, but he's some part of God, so what does that mean? And so um, he was teaching specifically about the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? What does our life look like when the Holy Spirit fills us up? If we're like a cup and the Holy Spirit pours itself into us, our lives are never the same. That retreat was actually called the overflow retreat. Like uh, he fills my cup and my cup over, overflows. And so he taught on the Holy Spirit. And then he was like, I'm going to pray that you guys receive baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, 
Whoa. Okay. He like talked about tongues and he talked about people shaking and falling. And I had never seen or heard any of that stuff before. And it really kind of was like weird to me and unusual. So I was, he was like, everyone pray, pray. And then he started calling students up and he said, Rona, come on up. And then I was like, oh. And I'm definitely, I definitely wasn't as free as uh, I am now. So I was really uncomfortable with being called up because I was so insecure. And then um, all I could remember praying was, Lord, please don't let anything weird happen to me. I don't want to shake. I don't want to sound weird. I don't want to fall. I don't want any of that weird stuff, God. So just do something, but don't make it weird. I'm scared. And so when he prayed for me, I was like, I don't even know what he said because that's all I was like thinking about. But then um, as soon as he laid his hand on me, you know what though? I don't want to frighten you guys because God will never do more than what you're ready for. But sometimes he pours out things that we don't think we're ready for because he knows us better, right? So he laid his hand on me and I fell to my knees because I had a vision. I didn't even think people had visions, but I had one. And um, (laughs) it was pretty much like, if you could imagine watching TV in HD, right? Like very vivid. And um, like if you close your eyes and you imagine like a pink elephant or like a rainbow or whatever, like you can, you can like control those thoughts, right? But this was like a thought I couldn't control. It was like a movie playing in my head and I couldn't consciously turn it off. It was like all of these images were, were flashing before my eyes and they were all things that my worst lived moments, my most pain-filled moments, my most shame-filled moments flashing before my eyes like a movie, right? So every time my dad was cussing me out, every time he was like calling me really bad names, every time he was beating my mom and brother before my eyes, every time one of those moments that really like cuts you, it was like I had to live that again. And I just started weeping and weeping because it was it was really hard. It's like my whole life I had been so numb and I had stopped feeling, but then it was like I could feel everything so in such a raw and powerful way. And I was weeping and weeping. And um, finally, um, one scene came up that was such a deep and shameful event that it's like I never consciously thought it out before. I think it's kind of like a suppressed memory, but the opposite. You know, a suppressed memory is like you don't remember it until a certain moment, right? But this was opposite. It's like I thought about it so much that it became like another limb to me. It was like this scar, this shame was so real to me that I felt like it was a part of who I was, that I would always be marked by this and this would always follow me around for the rest of my life. And um, so before I turned eight, I committed numerous sexual sins with boys. And you know, when you're a little kid, you don't understand the consequences of that kind of stuff, but it happened so much. And I felt like... It's like every day I looked at myself and I was disgusted. I was filled with shame and I never understood why. Why am I so worthless? Why am I so dirty? Why am I so messed up? And why would I be a kid and commit these sins? And I was so confused because I felt like God had created me to be messed up. And I felt like I had no chance to be pure. I had no chance to be free. I had no chance to love myself because at that early age, I had messed up. And I didn't understand what happened to me. And I didn't understand what I did, but I knew it was wrong. And I knew that I would be messed up forever. And so when I was on my knees at the retreat, seeing this, it's like every time that scene came up before, I could just push it away into like the numbness of my life. But this time, no matter how much I tried, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was like right there in my face. And I felt so, I felt the weight of it. 
you know, the weight of my whole life crashing down on me. And I stood up and, uh, <laughs> you know, like, I honestly, I looked at Pastor Christian and I was like, this is no good. I'm out. This is, I'm done with this stuff. Like, no more of this, you know. But then I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't make sense of it. And I couldn't find peace. So I finally called Pastor Christian a couple days later. And um, in the student union cafeteria over some Ojingo Pokum, we had a conversation. And I told him he was the first human being that I ever told in my life about these sexual sins. He was the first human being I told my whole testimony to. And I told him what happened to me at the retreat. And he said, it's all good. It's a good thing. Because you know, <laughs> you know what the Holy Spirit did? The Holy Spirit, God can see us in a realm that we can't see ourselves. We see, you know, I see Ilyong in a plaid shirt. I see people with eyes and ears and whatever. I see chairs, right? That's the physical realm. But there is a spiritual realm. And God can see us in that realm. And he can see, you know, if we are wearing chains, if we are imprisoned, he can see those chains on us. He can see shackles on us. And we can't see that in the physical, right? So we think everybody's okay because we're really good at hiding who we really are. I was really good at hiding who I really was. But God can see right through it, right? He sees our hearts. He sees our true selves. And he sees what we're going to be in the future. He sees what we were made for. He sees the original intent of our lives to be called worthy, to be united with him in intimacy. And he can see all the things standing in the way of that happening. And so in my life, he saw all sorts of chains. He saw all sorts of shame weighing me down, all sorts of burdens that I was carrying. And he brought me to Korea and he set me down at that retreat and he made me finally see. And he made, he made a place for me to finally mourn and grieve the things that had happened, you know? I think that it's so easy to become numb when stuff like that happens. It's so easy to turn off emotion. But when you block yourself from feeling pain, you also block yourself from feeling real joy, real intimacy, right? And so I was blocking myself from really experiencing and, and living a true life. And God, he wanted to just break free, break me free from every chain, everything that was stopping me from becoming who he created me to be. And that's what the retreat was for me. And so from that moment when I had the conversation with Pastor Christian on, my life had never been the same. It's like instantly when I spoke aloud those things to him, this weight was lifted from me and I felt like I could breathe for the first time. It's like if I came to Korea dead, I could come, I was going back to America alive. And when I went back to college, people kept saying, you know, Rona, isn't it so hard to live a Christian life? Like, you can't do anything fun. Man, you don't get to do all the fun stuff. And then I was like, if you imagine, like, if you imagine not breathing and you, like, living with no emotion, no it's like life is sucked from you and you're living that kind of existence. And then one day life enters you and you can breathe. It's like saying, oh, isn't breathing such a sacrifice? Oh, it must suck. It's like, no, breathing is necessary for life, you know? Like I cannot imagine not knowing God and living this life anymore because it's like, I, as Pastor Aaron preached the first week, it's like I was dead. I was dead because I know I was dead because I know the moment I became alive and everything was different from that moment on. And why would I think it's a sacrifice to be alive? You know, okay, I don't have sex and drink, but like I can breathe and I can live life and I can live a full life for the first time. It's not a sacrifice. It's like, so not a sacrifice. And, um, yeah, so where am I? I have not been following these notes at all. Okay. So... <laughs> 
All right, so, yeah, Korea was amazing. I wasn't only part of Emmaus, but um, I also started attending New Philly Church. Pastor Aaron is married to Pastor Christian. They are pastors at New Philly Church for, for some new people here. And um, Pastor um, Aaron and Pastor Christian, they were really, um, they're really amazing. Man, they're amazing, right? And New Philly is an amazing church. And uh, if you're part of another church, I bless you guys. Like, really plug in. And, and it's, a, it's your family. It's your body. But at New Philly and Emmaus, my six months in Korea, it's like I experienced everything, everything that I had heard my whole life, everything that people had promised that this whole Christian thing could look like. It's like I saw it happen. And, you know, it's really disheartening. It's really, it disillusions you whenever you read about all this stuff. You read about miracles. You read about a Jesus who loves, who's full of compassion. You read about a Holy Spirit that fills people with power. You read about it, and you read about intimacy and a body, but then you see nothing like that in the real Christian life. And it's like at New Philly, I felt like everything was becoming alive. And I... People at New Philly and Emmaus loved me whether I could do anything for them or not. So for me, my whole life, I'm all about, I'm only lovable if I act a certain way, look a certain way, do certain things, right? And New Philly, I was going through all sorts of healing and deliverance, so sometimes I was super messed up and depressed. If I was, like, really trying to put on a show and act and, and earn people's love, they loved me. And if I was just sitting there, like, brain dead because I was, like, going through stuff, they loved me the same. Have you guys ever been loved the same no matter what you did? Like, if you're a jerk and also if you're really great? Because... It does something really weird to you. It makes you feel like you can be yourself. And, you know, when people accept you, when, whenever, like, whenever, however you come, it changes your life drastically. And it's not just about nice people being friendly to you. It's about them knowing the heart of God and manifesting the heart of God to you because that's how God is. He doesn't care when we're being like silly babies and crying and being jerks. He doesn't care because he knows who we are. He knows that we're his children. He knows who we really are, right? And um, man, I was set free by those relationships because people love me no matter what. It was, it's, it's life-changing to be loved unconditionally, and that's what I got to experience. Okay, so Korea was a time of encountering God, of healing, deliverance, and finding freedom. It was a season of intimate relationships and uh, just really experiencing life-changing love. And um, in that time, God called me to, I thought he called me to be a missionary. Like, that's what I was preparing for, mission work. And I I was called to full-time ministry. And I found that, like, everything in my past, he started to turn around. And where I only saw brokenness, where I only felt bitterness or depression, he started turning around and making something amazing out of every part of my past. And, um, you know, if you spend any amount of time with me personally, you know how I love Jim Jibangs. Like, I love them. I love everything about Jim Jibangs. And, Everyone knows that about me. Like, actually, my birthday is next week, and I'm having my birthday party at a Jim Jibong. You are, are all invited. It's Sunday. You're welcome to come, okay? Birthday party in our birthday suits. Okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try not to be inappropriate. I'm working on this, okay? So my weakness is that I don't have filters, and sometimes I'm inappropriate. So I'm going to try my best to keep it not that way. Okay, so... Uh, many people know I like Jim Jibongs, but not many people know why. And I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so-
So the year, the, the six months I was in Korea, the semester I was in Korea, for about a year after that healing experience at the retreat, that, that transformative experience in the retreat, God was healing my heart, right? And God heals us however he wants to, and he speaks to us whenever he wants to, right? We don't really control when he comes and ministers to us, but um, every time I stepped into the shower for a year after my retreat, God started speaking to me. And it's like, okay, think about a shower, right? You come in, and you're extremely vulnerable, and you're naked. You have nothing to cover you up, and then you're, you're standing under water, right? But you come in, and you're dirty. You have, like, grime and sweat, and the whole day's dirt, and in Korea, pollution on your skin, right? So you come in every time, and you are dirty. You are filled with dirt. But then the water is washing over your body, and it's cleansing all those things off. It's washing every impurity, every piece of dirtiness off of you. And then every time you step out and you're clean, you're like new, right? So what happened that semester and the year after, every time I stepped into the shower, like I'm just taking a shower. And then all of a sudden God would say, that's what I'm doing to you. That's what I did to you. You know, no matter what shame, no matter what lies, no matter what deception, no matter what junk the world and Satan piled on you, I have washed you clean. I have washed you clean. There is no part of you that is not pure. There is no part of you that is not clean. There is no part of you that I don't love. You are pure and you are holy before me, and it's because I washed you clean. And so what happened was every time I took a shower, I would be on my knees. (laughs) Then I'm like weeping in the bathtub. And anyway, so... I love being naked. I love taking showers. And it's because it reminds me of that time, you know, that healing season in my life. And, uh, (laughs) okay, I'm trying not to be too inappropriate, but, uh, okay. (laughs) All right, so. (laughs) Sorry, Pastor Aaron. I'm going to get a talk about this testimony later. But, um, okay, you know, uh, Leviticus 8, Leviticus 8. Um, God is, is setting up Aaron and his sons to be priests to him. Basically, back then, you, no one could just go up to God who wanted to know him, right? You have to be ceremonially clean. You have to wash yourself. You have to do all these rituals in order to be able to go into his presence. And God had chosen Aaron and his sons to be the people that minister to the Lord, that, that do all these sacrifices for the Israelite people. And um, he told Moses that he, Moses had to wash Aaron and his sons. Moses had to wash Aaron and his sons, and Moses had to clothe Aaron and his sons, and he had to put a robe on them. Could you imagine being this naked man, and then, like, someone else washing your whole body, and then someone else putting clothes on you, right? Nothing about that is something you did. And I feel like God, through that story of way long ago, through that story, God is showing us what he does for each and every one of us. When we become believers of Jesus, that's what he did. That's what he did. We came just as we are, messed up, broken, filled with dirt, filled with all these lies. And then God said, I washed you. I'm clothing you with righteousness and you will never be the same. And now you can come into my presence whenever you want. And so that year, that was happening over and over. So I love gingerbongs because gingerbongs are like constant showers. You're like in the shower for hours, right? I love the process of being cleaned uh, because it really reminds me of that time. It's it's, it's really good. So now you guys know. Tina, now you know. Now you know why. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> so as the summer drew to a close, I spent a semester, the spring semester, and the summer after in Korea. When the summer drew to a close, man, I hated the thought of going home. 
Some of you guys are homesick. You want to go home. But once you find, like, a treasure hidden in a field and you're like, dude, this is better than anything I've ever experienced in my life, you don't want to go home because it's so good. And I felt like I just got to taste and see how great it was, how great life could be, and I had to go home. So going home really sucked for me because I was like, home is just full of brokenness. Home is full of, like, abuse. Home is full of messed up stuff. Nothing is right at home, and everything's right here. I don't want to go back there. Um, But I knew that um, God was setting me up and that the fire was within me, and it wasn't about where I was in the world. It was about just being in his presence and knowing who I am. And so as soon as I got back, um, I was part of a Christian sorority. It was more of a sorority and less Christian. I don't know and understand what happened, but um, anyway, they, <laughs> they, were, they invited me to randomly, like, they don't even know what it was like for me in Korea, but the president was like, I want you to talk about your semester abroad in front of the sorority girls of 200 people. And so I was like, whoa. That's really random, but I shared, and I shared everything with them, and afterward, a line of girls came up and said, man, I had went through similar things when I was a child. I can't believe that, that you were freed from stuff like that. So about three or four of them, I got to mentor and disciple that semester, and by the end of the time, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had re- everything, ev- you know what, your small group material, your small group material, I saved that stuff, and I taught it to those girls. Everything I learned, I gave to those girls, and it set them free. Everything, everything that you're doing right now is for you, but it's not only for you. Like, God is, God is changing you, and then he's also putting gifts and blessings and, and wisdom into your hands so that you can give it to other people. And you guys are so powerful. You guys are so powerful just being who you are in his presence. And so, um, yeah, that was awesome. And then my roommate was... Um, I had lived with this girl named Marie Sugaya, and I had lived with her before I came to Korea. She was my roommate, and then when I got back from Korea, she was my roommate again. So we lived together, and man, that first couple months, it was so rough because she knew Rona before I went to Korea, and then Rona who came back was completely different Rona, and I was so gung-ho about Jesus, and she didn't know what to do. Like, she was not Christian, and she wasn't really into all this religious stuff, so she thought I was kind of crazy. So we got into a lot of arguments about stupid stuff, and then Um, But you know what? I wasn't faced because I could just look at her face and the Holy Spirit was just moving all over her. She just randomly started crying and asked me questions like, if you were going to, if you found out you had cancer and you couldn't be healed, what would you do? And then like, she would just ask me such deep questions out of the blue. And I'm like, God, you're so like on this. Okay. And then uh, one day she's like, you know, Rona, I think I need this Jesus of yours. And so I got to lead her through this prayer and Man, like, that was awesome. It was three months after we moved back in together. And then she's, like, now on fire. She's, like, doing really awesome. She's my lifelong friend. And God also began to open the doors for me to this, this girl who was homeless with no, uh, like, no, nothing really to my, to my credentials, right? Nothing that I could boast about. I was sent out to nations. Nation, like, could you imagine being a homeless girl from Arkansas being sent to other countries, right? Like, how could this have happened to me? I don't know, because God's crazy. But I went, um, I went to South Africa. I went to Thailand on missions. I was part of a discipleship house ministry. And, man, I was just so, it's like everything was broken in wasteland around me when I came. But when I went back, everything was different. Because when the Spirit's alive in you, the Spirit can make things so different. He can make a way where there was no way at all. Where you think there's no way, he can make a way. And my life was so full. And uh, when I went to Thailand, that's actually where my dad was living. 
he was living, he was on drugs, he was really, really drinking way too much, and uh, he was also married or living with a prostitute. And uh, so I was doing mission work in, Tha- in Thailand, and then I was like, I'm going to meet up with my dad. And when it comes to my dad, you know, that's like the hardest thing for me. That was the hardest thing for me because it was the thing that caused so much pain. So much of my messed upness came from my dad and my relationship. <laughs> and so... You know, since that retreat, that life-changing time in, in, in Korea, God had been continually talking to me about my dad. How, how messed up and how, like, how sinful I was without him and his grace. And how I can't withhold that love for my dad. Because, you know, my dad hurts me, but my dad was also hurt. Hurt people will hurt other people, right? And so he was moving out of what he knew to be life, what he knew to be true. And so I I met up with him. I hadn't talked to him since my senior year of high school. We ate uh, some Mexican food in Thailand. And, um, And then we were just talking, and I said, you know, Dad, like, I was really hurt from how you raised my brother and I. And, uh, you know, like, there's so many things that left scars in me. But when I went and studied in Korea, God healed every part of my life. And I was set free. And I forgive you for everything that you do. And I want to ask that you forgive me, too, for not loving you and honoring you as my dad. And I want you to know that I want the best for you. It was so simple, you know. But um, he, yeah, it was like, it was the first time that I had ever spoken to him not afraid not in fear, not doubting myself. And it was really, it really affected him. And I didn't know exactly his side of the story, but in February, my dad passed away. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely walking out the grieving process. Grieving is a really, really crazy thing. It's like you can experience grace in a new way from the Lord. But um, I had, there's this lady that posted on my dad's Facebook wall, and she was like, Rona, or Bob, like, you're... Uh, rest in peace. I hope you're in a better place. I really enjoyed all the conversations about God that we had together. I was like, what? My dad never talks about God. Like, what is she talking about? So I Facebooked her. (laughs) Then I was like, you knew my dad? I'm Rona. Like, what did you guys talk about? And so um, she was like, you know, Rona, um, she just told me a lot of memories they had together. They partied together a lot, but they also had really deep conversations about the Lord. And she said that, um, after I left, he was beaming and he, he said to her that he was so proud of me and he was so happy that I had experienced who God was at such an early stage and that he wished he could have known God the way I did when he was 20 something. And he was so proud of his baby girl. And Man, I had, it's, it's been like a long time since Thailand, but I just found out about that, and it really blessed me. And, um, you know, that was the one thing I couldn't give up to God for so long, but God has even made that into something beautiful. He has even turned that around, and, like, I can honestly say that I love my father, and I, I love him. And, um, yeah, he, there's, yeah, okay, I can't go into all that either. Okay. Um, yeah, okay, so I graduated college in May of 2010, moved back home to Arkansas with my mom, and, um, you know, all those years in college, I was crying out, Lord, send me back to Emmaus, Lord, I want to go back to Korea, and little did I know that I would be here (laughs) for a long time, but, um, he answers (laughs) prayers, so be careful what you pray for, students, and, (laughs) man, I prayed night and day for that, okay, so... 
Anyway, so he, I was praying, send me back, send me back. I knew that that's the next step he had for me, but um, I was at home, and I couldn't get a job for a really long time. So May to December, I was at home living with my mom for the first time since high school. And she at first was just like, who are you? Are you just trying to put on a show? Like, you are not my daughter. Even though you were really, like, mean and rebellious, at least I knew who you were, and you are not that person. So who are you? So she was kind of really... Like, not believing that this, this was real. But after living together for a little while, she said, I know you better than anyone else. And if God can change a person this much, he must be real. And so that summer, she recommitted her life to the Lord. And we, have, we had a really bad relationship. I was such a mean person to her. Like, <laughs> man. So, but God, God moved in her life and then he reconciled our relationship, right? So where there was only wasteland, where there was only brokenness and darkness, there is reconciliation, there is new life. There is like, I had, you know, I didn't have any friends that I could really say they would stick with me through thick and thin. They're my lifelong friends coming to Korea. But then I was put in the same college with the same roommate in the same sorority, in the same family with the same mother and father, but everything was different. Everything, every part of my life was affected by this retreat, with, by this semester. Nothing was, nothing was the same. He made a way in every single way. So, um, yeah, I came back to Korea in December of 2010. So I've been here for about a year and three months now. And, you know, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be here sharing this story. Like, Satan, when he sees God's children, he hates them. And he knows that God has plans for them, right? So when they're little, when they're, first of all, you know, babies in the faith, when they first become Christians, or when you're physically like a child, Satan will often attack. Because he knows that once you reach maturity, once you know who you are, you cannot be stopped. You are unstoppable when you know who you are, when you know that you are a son and daughter of God. So what he will do, he'll try to steal that identity at the very beginning. And so, you know, like Satan tried to steal every part of my life, but God had other plans and nothing that Satan can throw at you. God cannot, nothing that Satan can throw at you. God cannot reverse. That was a weird sentence, but um, so many negatives. Um, you know, like if, if God hadn't intervened, I would just be repeating the same thing that my dad did, did alcoholism. I was definitely on that road. Like I couldn't control how much I drank filled with rage. I had crazy issues with rage, uh, depression. My mom suffered from that. Um, anxiety or going on the other side and being completely lost in this fake identity, being perfect, working, striving for everything. I would be repeating all these stories that my parents lived out. Nothing would be different because we can't change ourselves really. Like we can't change the core of ourselves. Only God can do that. And so, um, you know, God had other plans for me this, this semester I was here. And Ecclesiastes 3.11, I just started a Bible reading plan with the student leaders and my familia, Al- Alstro, Lemuria, familia. <laughs> Shout out to you guys. Okay, so um, <laughs> Al- Alstro, Lemuria, look it up. Okay, um, Ecclesiastes 3... <laughs> Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Regardless of my brokenness in the past, the abuse and the pain that I had lived in, God turned it all into something beautiful. Every part of my life is now a story that is 
filled with beauty, filled with redemption, filled with hope. And when he poured out his spirit in my heart, nothing was the same. Pain that I thought I would always carry was lifted off of me. Not only was I changed, but as I explained to you guys in a couple details, every part of my life and my relationships were changed. And this same God who redeemed me and healed my heart called me, um, poured out his spirit into me. This same God who restored my whole life desires to also do a new thing in each and every one of us, every semester, every day, right? You guys are not here by accident. You guys are not here to get Korean language credit. You are, but you're not only here, okay? Like, there is so much more to why you're here than what you know and what you can see. It's like crazy, the plans that God has for you. Things that you cannot fathom because he's placed eternity in your heart. You cannot fathom what he has planned for you. And, um, you know... (coughs) Being on a May staff was totally unexpected. I should have known, though, since I prayed night and day to come back. But um, I, I, it would, it's nothing that I would have fathomed for myself. Um, but I couldn't have asked for a more rewarding life. Every semester, I get to see students like you guys come and not have any idea what's going on and then be completely transformed at the retreat or throughout the semester. And I hope that you guys don't underestimate. I'm only here for a semester. I got to live it up. Got to do my own thing. Got to party. Got to go shopping as much as I can. Got to eat waffle ice cream. Like, you do all that stuff. Okay. But really, like, don't underestimate the things that God can do. The things that could take 20 years of counseling like he can do in an hour at this retreat. Like don't underestimate that he can change your whole life. And um, whatever you come here with, whether your story is like mine or not, whatever you come here with, it's not too much for him to handle. Like he's not intimidated by your issues, by how messed up you think you are. Like he can, he can take care of it. And um, I think that this weekend, I really want to, if I could sum up my testimony, this weekend is so much more than just a weekend of hanging out, a weekend of, of like, paying money. It's so much more. It's not a sacrifice if you think about how we're going to get life through it, right? Um, so I guess the only question for you guys is if you're willing. Um, just like, you know, you have to be naked and vulnerable and you have to get into the shower, if you're willing to actually let your heart be open to what he can do, that's pretty much the only question you have to ask. Do I want a new life? Do I want, do I want all the things he can do? Do I want this new life breath filling up my life? And um, if you let him, he will wash everything away. He will clothe you in righteousness, and he will tell you who you really are. And so um, just stepping out in faith and going to this retreat could really be like the moment where your life is never the same again. Um, Yeah, so that's my story of Emmaus and of Emmaus Retreat in 2008. I'm excited to hear your stories of Emmaus Retreat 2012. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys. Um, It was awesome.